Here's a quick word from our football educational partners over at the Scouting Academy. Listen, we've said it all the time. If you love the analysis and you're passionate about football, then you really need to check out the Scouting Academy. Whether you're a football coach, aspiring writer, or even aspiring football agent, the Scouting Academy is really a perfect place for you to learn and develop your skills as an analyst. With curriculum that spans over 375 years of coaching and personnel experience, the Scouting Academy offers you a 16-week online course that you can tailor and build to meet your needs and your interests. Whether you're learning about wide receivers or defensive linemen, you can make the experience what you want it to be. Listen, I've said it to you on this podcast many times. I've spent my own money, my own time, and time away from my friends and family because I am just this passionate about this game. And the Scouting Academy is the place where I really feel like I've learned the most I've ever learned about the game of football. It's made me a better analyst. It's made me a better person in terms of the coaching I do on the field. I can't say enough great things about it. If you have any questions about the Scouting Academy, please don't hesitate to reach out to Dan Hatman on Twitter or reach out to the Scouting Academy online via email. I'm open to all questions as well. Heck, I'm still even a student there myself. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I really think that once you learn all the tools and gain the knowledge that they have to offer, I really think you're going to be absolutely excited about the game of football again. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and I am pleasured to have back on the show Mr. Chris Tripodi of Draft Analyst. Chris, welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Good to be here as always. feel like it's uh, been a while, so hopefully we don't go as long without recording one of these next time. Absolutely. NFL Draft now, a couple weeks in the rearview mirror, and here at Saturday Sunday we just continue to be recapping it, similar to what you guys are doing over there at Draft Analysts. Last episode, uh, Thor Nystrom from Roto World was on, and we recapped team by team every team in the NFC. So I figured it was a great time to have you on, and we will go through the AFC the exact same way, talk about each team's draft class, our favorite picks, value picks, questionable picks, and just a general overview of what we thought about each team's uh, draft because, you know, a lot to digest and a lot to, uh, you know, really analyze about these teams, trying to make sense of what some teams did. So uh, let's get right into it. I'm going to start with the, I'm going to start it off and, uh, you know, kick off with the AFC South. And I'm going to go right into it with the Houston Texans. In the first round, they took Titus Howard tackle out of Alabama State. In the second round, they took Lonnie Johnson cornerback out of Kentucky. Also in the second round, they took Max Sharping tackle out of Northern Illinois. In round three, they took a Hale Warren, tight end out of San Diego State. In round five, they took Charles Minnieu, the defensive line slash defensive edge out of Texas. In round six, they took Xavier Crawford, cornerback out of Central Michigan. And in round seven, they took Cullen Golaspia, uh, running back slash fullback out of Texas A&M. My favorite pick for them, 
easily with Cahill Warren. He was a guy that I was intrigued by in the pre-draft process. A lot of athleticism, a lot of upside, very late to the game of football. But he's a guy that really intrigues me. I think there's going to be a little bit of slow growth and development. But I really like his upside. Houston's been trying to kind of solidify this tight end position with a lot of different draft picks over the years. And none of them has really panned out. But I think Warren has the upside to eventually develop into a mainstay there, you know, in that passing game, receiving passes from Deshaun Watson and kind of join Deshaun Hap, uh, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller as a, as a focal point of that team. So I like that. In terms of their value pick, I didn't love anything too much. If I was going to put one on in terms of value, I would say Lonnie Johnson, the long, you know, athletic cornerback. He was getting some late round one, early round two buzz. So for where they got him, uh, you know, at pick 22 in the second round, you know, at pick 54 overall, second 22 in terms of uh, round two, I thought it was pretty good value there. Questionable picks. I'm going to say both the tackles. I think the Texans needed to come out of this draft with a couple plug-and-play guys and whether they were targeting Andre Dillard and got leapfrogged by the Eagles. Titus Howard might have the most upside of any tackle in this class. Who, who's you know? I can't say whether or not he's going to develop into an all-pro left tackle. He's got the size and athleticism, but he's not there right now. He's not plug-and-play. And even Max Sharpin coming from Northern Illinois, I have some concerns about that. I thought they needed multiple plug-and-play guys to kind of protect Deshaun Watson. So those are my questionable picks. And that's kind of my overview. I, I didn't love what they did. I thought Aminiu was okay value in round five. I mentioned Lonnie Johnson. But when push comes to shove, I think they needed multiple starters on the offensive line that they felt good about being immediate to add to that you know, O-line to try to keep Deshaun Watson upright. And I just didn't see that. So that's my take on Houston. Chris, any thoughts on the Houston draft there? I'm going to echo a lot of what you said. I overall don't really think it was a very strong effort for the Texans. I do think that they absolutely got jumped by the Eagles for Andre Dillard there, considering they took Titus Howard, who, listen, Titus Howard is a good prospect. He looked good at the Senior Bowl. He's not a guy that, you know, you're going to look at and say, wow, this guy is terrible, but he's probably a second round guy. And they ended up taking him in the first round because they were sitting there and they're waiting for Andre Dillard to fall. Again, we're making assumptions here, but I think these are pretty legitimate assumptions. The Eagles are obviously smart. They probably knew this about the Texans too. And they said, you know what? We're going to move up and we're going to end up with Andre Dillard. And they did just that. Um, I actually like Lonnie Johnson a lot. Maybe he's not a value pick necessarily in the second round, but he's a guy, you said with Cahill Waring that he's kind of late to the game of football. Well, Lonnie Johnson is late to the corner position. He came to college as a receiver, switched over. I read a story about him that they were talking about him pretty much playing cornerback because at the college he was at, at the time, I forget the name of it, it was before he was at Kentucky, it was when he was at Juco. And they just have a thing where they switch the receivers to corner. They move the corners to receiver. They move the offensive lineman to defensive line just to see things. And within five minutes of watching Lonnie Johnson play cornerback, the coach was like, you're a corner. You're not a receiver anymore. And, you know, this guy has a lot of development left. He's got that length. He really played well. It's kind of like Tyus Howard. Played well at the Senior Bowl. One of the better corners that we saw there. So I like that pick. I like the Hickel Warring pick as well, as you said. Lots of athleticism and development there. But for me, this is a draft that the Texans are a team. They're going to try to win now. They have a quarterback. They have a good, good football team. And they need to win some games. I don't know that they got that much immediate impact 
from this draft, at least as much as they needed. Yeah, I mean, and and I'll I'll leave it on here, and then I'll move to the Colts. Is I think if they really did want Dillard, they maybe should either a have traded up, which is easier said than done. They didn't have a lot of draft capital, but I think maybe the right move would have been to pivot off of the the offensive tackle position. If you didn't like any of the other ones left, you know they could have taken Josh Jacobs, and it's not like they're they're locked in at the running back position. And I know maybe they would have been looked at as I can't believe you bypass an offensive lineman. But, I mean, at least Jacobs would have added a, a different, unique run, uh, element there to the run game, and it would have been a big upgrade, I think, on, on what Lamar Miller offers right now. You know, so that, that was another way they could have gone if, if they didn't see a plug-and-play guy there. So I, it's the Howard thing. Now, in the long run, maybe they have the last laugh, and he turns into, you know, a big-time talent there, you know, because he does have a lot of tools. So with that said, let's move it to the Indianapolis Colts, keep this going. In round two, they took uh, Rocky Sin, cornerback out of Temple. Also in round two, they took Ben Benagu, uh, edge prospect out of TCU. And their third, second round pick, they took Paris Campbell, wide receiver out of Ohio State. In round three, they took Bobby O'Reilly, the linebacker out of Stanford. In round four, they took Kari Willis, the safety out of Michigan State. In round five, they took Marvell Tell, safety out of USC. In round five, they took EJ Speed, the linebacker out of Tarleton State. In round six, they took Jerry Green, edge prospect out of Mississippi State. In round seven, they closed it out with Jackson Barden, tackle out of Utah, and Javon Patterson, center out of uh, Mississippi. My favorite picks, I'm going to say my favorite pick is Paris Campbell in round two. I think he adds a different element to their offensive game. I think he's a better route runner than people gave him credit for. I know you heard we heard a lot in the pre-draft process about his not producing vertically down the field. I don't think that's a product of Paris Campbell. I think it's a product of that Ohio State just didn't have to, and Haskins just wasn't as comfortable doing it regularly, you know. So they didn't ask him to do it. But I think with the Colts, he's going to add a unique weapon there. He's you know with Hilton taking the top off defenses, they got. You know, tight ends there that can make plays. They went out and signed Funches, a big-bodied guy to play on the outside. So I think you're going to see Campbell a lot on the inside, outside. I think him and Hilton are going to be pretty interchangeable. But I think I think Campbell's going to make a lot of noise in the short to intermediate game and after the catch. So I like that pick. That's my favorite pick. In terms of their value pick, I didn't really think that they had any pick that was substantial value. If I had to pick one, I would probably say it was Marvell Tell in the fifth round. I thought he could maybe potentially go in the fourth round due to his versatility to play potentially some cornerback and safety. So that would probably be the pick that I would say presented maybe the best value. In terms of questionable picks, I mean, Benegu from from TCU, I thought that was a little early. I liked him. He was a guy I was hoping the Giants were interested in, but that, that was more at the end of round three, kind of where O'Shea Zimenez, but I know it was, it was your partner in crime there, Tony Pauline, that had been saying a while that Benegu was going, you know, top 75. So, he, you know... Tony's intel on that w- was spot on because Benegu at pick 49. So maybe the Colts didn't see an opportunity to, to kind of wait on him because they really liked him. So maybe in the NFL's eyes, he was a second round pick and maybe, you know, more of the draft Twitter media out there, you know, maybe thought he was more of a round three guy. So that would probably be the pick that I say was a little bit questionable, but it sounds like they maybe knew that other teams were highly invested Overall, there was a solid to good draft. I mean, I, I think Rocky Sin adds that physicality and toughness. I like the, the Paris Campbell pick. I like the Tell pick. Uh, I thought Benegu, like I said, was a little bit of a reach, but it fills a need for them. So 
Overall, I like that they're adding a lot of more athleticism and speed to their defense. I think Benegu and Orique do that. Last year, they obviously had a great draft. You know, Chris Ballard, one of the best GMs in football. So not a lot to, to complain with here. Uh, you know, so overall, I thought it was a really solid draft. Any any thoughts on the Colts? Uh, and I, I want to talk about Banigou for a second here because there were rumors that the Jets were actually looking to trade up for him. Um, there were rumors that the Jets were thinking about trying to trade up for Mikkel Hardman. Then there were rumors that it was Ben Benogu. So we don't really know which player they were looking at. But that does show, as you kind of alluded to, that there was interest among some other teams at that level. I don't think he would have ever made it to the Giants at the end of the third round there, uh, just based on you know everything that – We've heard after the draft, you know, he's an athletic guy. He's going to make plays up the field. You know, he's not going to play in reverse or anything like that. He's not great in space. But at the very least, he's a situational pass rusher, which, you know, second round for those guys, yeah, it is a little bit of a reach. So out of all their picks, I'd say that would be kind of the questionable one. But, again, that just shows that they had a good draft. Um, You really hit the nail on the head with Paris Campbell. Um, You know, we see him very similarly. I see a guy who gets in and out of his breaks very well. Um, I don't have issues or questions with his route running. I've seen him win in the intermediate field, seen him win in the short field. I've even seen him get deep. I just really haven't seen Dwayne Haskins hit him deep, which might be more, as you said, kind of a Haskins issue than it is. But, I mean, Ohio State, that's their offense. They run a lot of mesh. They cross guys over the middle. And whoever gets open out of their amazing athletes that they have is going to get the ball. Paris Gamble got the ball a lot because he was always getting open. But I do think there is a lot more to his game. And I think landing with Andrew Luck not only can unlock that, but, you know, Luck is a guy, if you want to talk about average depth of target, and a lot of people were talking about Campbell, think his average depth of target was only 4.5 in college. Well, I think Andrew Luck had one of the lowest dots in the NFL last year. So that's a marriage made in heaven, even if Campbell doesn't develop into a deep threat that his speed would kind of tell you he can. So I think this was a great fit. For him, it's a great marriage of value and need and just the ability to put those two players together. The Rocky Asintic, another early second-round corner that I really, really like. Um, you know, long, similar to Lonnie Johnson in that sense, and both of them, again, were at the Senior Bowl. Both of them excelled down there. Physical players. Rocky Asin may not have that top-end speed you're really looking for, but that's not the type of corner he is, and I don't think that's how Indy's going to use him. So overall, I do agree it was a, a generally solid effort for the Colts, even without a first-round pick. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm excited to kind of see Campbell in that offense and what he can kind of open things up for for Luck and the rest of that that offensive guys as well. So let's take this to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, round one at pick seven, they took Josh Allen, edge prospect out of Kentucky. In the second round, they took Juwan Taylor, tackle out of Florida. In round three, they took Josh Oliver, tight end from San Jose State. In round three, he also took Quincy Williams, uh, safety slash linebacker out of Murray State. In round five, they took Raquel Armstead, the running back out of Temple. Round six, they took Gardner Minshew, the quarterback out of Washington State. In round seven, they took Dontavius Russell, defensive tackle out of Auburn. I'm going to start. I'm going to actually combine my favorite slash value picks into two guys because they're both great picks and they're both tremendous value. And that's. Josh Allen right at the top. They had no business getting him at seven. Things had a break right for them. Oakland had to fall in love with Cleveland Farrell. The Giants had to fall in love and not want to risk taking Daniel Jones later or trade up, you know, from 17 to somewhere, you know, in the 10 to 12 range. So Josh Allen, I love the pick, love the value there. You know, thought that was an absolutely slam dunk pick. 
add some swag back to their defense. And then Jawan Taylor. I mean, there was a lot of rumors that they were going to take Jawan Taylor in the first round at seven. And then in the about a 48 hours prior to the draft, we started hearing a little bit about some medical red flags with Jawan Taylor. You know, but to get him in the second round, I mean, this is to me, Miles Jack all over again, a guy that they were connected to in the first round, top 10, and then they end up getting him in the top 10 of the second round. So those are my favorite slash value picks. In terms of my questionable decisions on them, Quincy Williams, Quinn Williams' brother in the late third round. I mean, he was not a guy on my radar, on a lot of people's radar, you know, as a guy. And even if he was on some people's radar, I thought maybe I'm sure those people thought more late round draft pick and not a guy in the top 100. So that was definitely questionable. And while I like Josh Oliver, the prospect, I wouldn't have taken him over Cahill Warren and Dawson Knox. Uh, and they they took Josh Oliver a little bit earlier uh, for my liking. I thought he was more of a late round three or early day three guy. And I would have definitely preferred Warren or uh, Dawson Knox to him there as well. So that was a little bit of a questionable move in my opinion. But overall, it's hard to really knock the Jaguars draft besides the Quincy Williams pick, which was a little bit from out of left field. I love Allen. I love the Taylor pick, the value on those guys. I like Raquel Armstead at the round five pick. I think Minshew was a good developmental quarterback in round six. So I thought they did a really strong draft. Only thing that surprised me is maybe not dipping into the wide receiver class, but they, they went there last year. They have a bunch of young guys on their roster. So I guess they're going to kind of give those guys a year to kind of see what happens. Any thoughts there, Chris, on Jacksonville? I mean, for me, when I look at Rifle Armstead, I see a value pick right there. Um, you know, this is a guy, yeah, maybe he doesn't really contribute that much in the passing game, but he's kind of a dancing bear in a lot of ways, 220 pounds, good downhill speed, good feet. Uh, he's a guy that if Leonard Fournette continues to have his issues, whether they're minor issues with the law or whatever, you know, there is an issue with trust with him and the Jaguars at this point. If he continues to have those issues, I think Armstead could be a guy who could step right in and fill in, not obviously at the level of Fournette, but he can definitely keep that offense going and keep it afloat. So I really like that pick in terms of value. Quincy Williams, he wasn't even in our top 300. Uh, so that, that tells you everything you need to know about him going in the top 100. Maybe Jacksonville knows something about him that everybody else in draft media or even teams around the league don't know. I don't know that any other teams had him rated this high. Maybe they could have gotten him in the sixth round, which, you know, if you're taking a guy in the third round, he could have been had in the sixth. That is kind of strange. I did like their top two picks. Obviously, Josh Allen falling into their laps was quite the coup for them. Um, you know, he's a guy, he's not necessarily great with his hand in the dirt. He's going to have to add some bulk, especially to play well against the run. But you don't turn down a pass rusher with that kind of talent at that spot when you have the need. And then the Juwan Taylor pick, you know, just like you said, Miles Jack all over again, a situation where, you have a guy that you're thinking of taking early. He falls a lot later in the draft. And as a result, you get a steal. And the main reason that Jawan Taylor fell, medical concerns around his knee, just whether he's going to stay healthy. And again, Miles Jack all over again. Miles Jack has stayed healthy so far. If Jacksonville can do the same thing with um, with Jawan Taylor, they should be all set. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, again... I- it's one thing to have medical red flags on guys and they drop them a little bit, but I mean, to get those guys that you were potentially targeting in round one, top 10 in the early port, 
portion of round two, a lot of the risk and, and concerns, you know, you're willing to take it on there. Even if you get these guys for one contract or, or maybe one and, and part of another, you know, at that point, I think it, it, it's highly, you know, uh, worth it, the gamble there. So let's round out the AFC South with the Tennessee Titans. In round one, they took Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle out of Mississippi State, most likely going to miss the whole year due to his injury. In round two, they took A.J. Brown, wide receiver from Ole Miss. In round three, they took Nate Davis, guard from North Carolina, Charlotte. In round four, they took Amani Hooker, safety out of Iowa. In round five, they took DeAndre Walker, the edge prospect out of Georgia. And in round six, they took David Long, the linebacker out of West Virginia. My favorite pick is A.J. Brown in round two. He was my number one wide receiver on my board. I don't love the landing spot if we're if we're talking like fantasy football, but I love the player. I think he adds another big time, uh, you know, weapon to that Titans offense to kind of give Marcus Mariota everything at his disposal now. You know, Corey Davis, a top 10 pick. A.J. Brown, you know, a second round pick. They've invested, you know, in, in, in the offensive line. They, they've invested at, you know, slot wide receiver now with Adam Humphreys. So I like that with A.J. Brown. So that's definitely my favorite pick. In terms of the value pick, you could put Jeffrey Simmons there. You know, he was a guy who could have potentially went top 10, you know, if it was not for the injury. And then also DeAndre Walker is another amazing value pick. I thought this was a guy who could potentially go off the board in round two or round three. I thought he was locked in for the top 100. So the medical issues with him might be, you know, more than maybe was led on to mainstream media. So, but I still think the value is tremendous. Uh, I really don't have anything to question. I guess if I'm really going to nitpick, even though I called them one of the better value picks, I guess you can maybe question drafting Jeffrey Simmons as a guy who's not going to help you this year. And it, it kind of feels like the Titans have a little pressure on him this year to maybe, you know, be a playoff team, you know, based on where they were last year, you know, to not take a step back and he's not going to give them much this year. So, I mean, I think that's nitpicking over overall. This was one of my favorite drafts in the entire league. I, I loved just about the value and, and the prospect that he got for at almost each pick throughout the draft. So not a lot for me to kind of quibble with here on the Titans draft. I think it was a really strong draft. I think they attacked need and they got value. They got good players. Uh, besides having the weight on Simmons, I thought this was an A-plus type draft and not that I'm giving grades out along the board, but I would find it hard pressed for me to like another draft uh, You know, more than this one. Thoughts, Chris, on the Titans? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the best draft in this division. All due respect to the Colts, who also had a good draft. Um, this was easily the best effort that I saw. Jeffrey Simmons is a guy you could argue was a top five to seven player in this draft. And not only does he fall because it's a deep defensive line draft, but he also falls because of the injury. I think teams were very comfortable at this point with the whole off-field situation that he dealt with before he landed at Mississippi State, kept clean during his time at college. So I'm pretty sure teams were comfortable with that. I've also heard some rumors that he might only miss two months, two and a half months. And then he can come back for the stretch run if they are a playoff team. That's a heck of a you know trade deadline or post-trade deadline boost. I don't know how realistic that is. Obviously, since he got hurt earlier this year, even an eight, nine-month recovery takes you to like October, November. Um, so it's it would be risky for them to bring him back then. But it's certainly possible. I guess it's not completely outside of the realm of possibility that he ends up coming back. Um, so that would be a nice boost for them. Love the A.J. Brown pick. Um, you know, he's a guy who tracks the ball really well. He's a 
baseball outfielder in the Padres system. Uh, so this guy knows how to get to the ball as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Tested better than people expected at the combine. Like you, he's also my number one receiver in this draft. So to get him at the end of the second round, really a nice, nice move there. Adam Humphreys is locked in on the inside, but I think Brown has enough athleticism and skill as a receiver to really win on the outside. I know a lot of people pegged him as a big slot. I thought he'd be very effective in that role, but I don't think he needs to play in that role. And you mentioned DeAndre Walker. That's a great pick there. The big reason I think that DeAndre Walker falls to the fifth round is you mentioned the injury, the sports hernia surgery that he had. He missed much of the offseason. That lack of an athletic profile for a guy who doesn't totally pop off tape in terms of athleticism. I think he's a good athlete, but you don't look at the tape and say, wow, this guy's an elite athlete. We don't even need to see him test. So I think the lack of that plus the injury added a little risk to his profile, and teams really didn't want to take that plunge. But in the fifth round, you're getting a guy with pass rushing chops like that. He can win standing over tackle. He's, he's the kind of guy that could really make a draft, let alone the picks they made earlier on that could easily make their draft as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'm right there with you on everything you kind of outlined there. I think the Simmons thing is fascinating. I think it might depend on where they are record-wise. You know, is it worth the risk to bring him back? But, you know, if they're in the thick of the playoff hunt or are on their way to the playoffs, you know, and and they could kind of add him for the home stretch, you know, that could be a, a big lift there as well. So, so there it is, guys. The AFC South in the books. Chris, why don't you uh, take it to the AFC East and, and kick it off? All right, well, we'll start. We'll go in alphabetical order, and we'll start with the Bills. In the first round, ninth pick overall, they took Ed Oliver, defensive tackle out of Houston. In the second round, they took Cody Ford, offensive lineman out of Oklahoma. Devin Singletary was their first third-round pick, the Florida Atlantic running back. They also grabbed Mississippi tight end Dawson Knox in the third round. In the fifth round, they took Beauchamp Joseph, linebacker out of Florida. Round six, they took Jaquan Johnson, safety out of Miami. And they had two picks in round seven taking North Carolina A&T edge rusher Daryl Johnson. And they also selected Tommy Sweeney, tight end out of Boston College. I'd say my favorite pick, if we're looking here, it has to be Ed Oliver. Uh, This is a guy who he's a complete freak. Not only did he blow up the combine, but his pro day numbers were some of the best numbers that you're ever going to see from a man that size. He's not Aaron Donald. People can put that away, but he's the closest thing you're going to get in terms of a guy coming into the draft before you see him in the NFL, an explosive three technique. He's going to fit very nicely, whether he's next to Star Latulele, uh, however you pronounce his name, or whether he's next to Harrison Phillips, their draft pick from last year on the second day. Either way, he's a very nice replacement for Kyle Williams, who was really a stalwart there over the years and really made Buffalo Bills fans happy. I think Ed Oliver is going to make them even happier. Value pick? I'm going to go with Tommy Sweeney here in the seventh round. He's never going to be a starter, but he's a guy. They took Dawson Knox earlier in the draft. That's their top two tight ends for the next four years right there. Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney. I know Tyler Croft is there. He'll play a role this year, possibly even a little bit next year. But Sweeney's a good blocker. He's a good short range to intermediate pass catcher. He's not a guy who's going to stretch the seam, but he's a definite player who's going to be able to make it as a backup tight end. And when you have a seventh round pick, it's really hard to complain about that. The only pick I would really say is questionable here, and honestly, I'm nitpicking kind of like you did with the Titans because I think this was just an overall excellent effort by the Buffalo Bills. The only questionable pick I would say would be Voshan Joseph. Uh, I like the player, but again, we're making us pick somebody here. He's stuck behind Tremaine Edwin, Edmonds and Matt Milano. He's going to special teams. He'll do well at it. That's the kind of player he is. He's a bit small, but he's a run-and-chase guy. He's got good speed. 
and he's going to play backup role there too. But his pick, I'd say, comes with the least value of all of the Bills' choices, even in the fifth round, because you want to shoot for something a little bit more in the fifth round than a backup and a special teamer. And in the end, if he ends up hitting that and he ends up playing that role, the Bills will be very happy with the pick. But they could have shot for more upside at the same time. Again, I'm nitpicking here. Sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I really think the Bills had, like the Titans, one of the better drafts overall in the league. What do you think, Paul? Yeah, I mean, I really like their draft. I mean, there was talk that they were maybe trying to trade up with the Jets, whether I, I would think it was for Quinn and Williams. I, there was also a lot of talk that they were maybe trying to move up after that pick to get Ed Oliver, and they got to stay there and just take him at nine. So I thought that was great. I think Cody Ford at, at the top of the second round, I mean, he was pretty much penciled in in most people's round one mocks, which leads me to believe that I wonder if a lot of the NFL didn't view him as a legitimate right tackle prospect and thought of him as more of just a guard because I think if he was considered a legitimate right tackle prospect, maybe he would have went, you know, in round one. The only thing that I probably could quibble with is I didn't love the Devin Singletary pick. That was the only one where, you know, he didn't test out athletically well. He's really small. I mean, he's tough and physical for sure, but he's not much of a receiving threat. He isn't going to be a guy who I think, you know, is due to his lack of size, I don't know if he's going to be like the pounder goal line type inside, you know, the three, four yard line. He doesn't have the long speed explosiveness and he's not impacts the receiving game. So I thought, I thought I was surprised that he ended up going at pick 74 for a while. That seemed like where he was going to go, but then he really, the pre-draft process probably was as poor for him as any skill player out there. So I thought he was going to fall to day three. So I'm surprised maybe there were other running backs on the board that maybe I could have seen them liking more. But again, overall, it's kind of nitpicking a little bit because I did think they came out of this draft with multiple starters and multiple high upside guys as well. And some really good value across the board. Ford, Knox, I thought could have went earlier. Uh, and and you brought up Sweeney before. He's a guy that I, I, I like for you know a, a second tight end. And I thought he could have been a guy that went like where the Jets took Trevon Wesco or a little bit after that. And I wouldn't I don't think it would have raised major eyebrows if, if Tommy Sweeney went in a similar range to Trevon Wesco and they got him rounds later. So overall I liked what they did. Yeah, I'm with you on Singletary. There were bats on the board that I liked more. I don't think the fit is that bad for him. He can learn behind Frank Gore. He can learn behind LaShawn McCoy, who McCoy has tested out better when he was coming out of the draft. But similar players in terms of a bit smaller, a bit shifty. So if there's a situation where Devin Singletary in the third round is a decent pick, I kind of think it's Buffalo. They don't need him to be a starter. Maybe he ends up being that next year. We'll see what happens in their backfield. They were also interested in trading up when they took Cody Ford to get Cody Ford, just like they were interested in trading up for Ed Oliver. So when your first two picks are guys that you wanted to trade up for, you end up not having to trade up and you get both of them. It really is a coup. I'm going to move on to the Dolphins here just so that we keep this rolling. Round one, pick 13 overall. They took Clemson defensive tackle Christian Wilkins. Uh, they didn't have a second round pick because they traded it for Josh Rosen, a guy we really like. And you know whether you want to include that in the draft grade or not, it's a definite win for Miami. On uh, the third round, they took Wisconsin guard Michael Dieter. In round five, they took Wisconsin linebacker Andrew Van Ginkle. Round six, they took Ohio State offensive tackle Isaiah Prince. And then with their pair of seventh-round picks, they took Auburn fullback Chandler Cox and Washington running back Miles Gaskin. My favorite pick out of here has to be Christian Wilkins. 
Uh, when he came to them at 13, they're able to fill a need with really an excellent player. He's a high character, intelligent guy. He can play the run. He can rush the passer. He's just a really good player. One of obviously many on that Clemson defensive line last year. So he's going to be an immediate impact player for Miami, even if they don't need immediate impact because they don't seem to care that much about this season. Um, Prince was probably my favorite value pick. You know, he was more of a guy who everyone expected to go earlier on day three. He ends up falling to the sixth round. Uh, he's an excellent run blocker, probably destined to play on the right side due to some limitations in pass protection. His footwork's not great. His agility could use some work, but he really should have gone a couple rounds earlier. And as a guy who has starting potential down the line, you don't find offensive linemen, especially at the tackle position, even on the right side, that have that kind of potential in the sixth round. So I thought that was a home run pick for Miami. The Van Ginkle pick to me was a little bit questionable. He's a good athlete, but he's not great in coverage, not really a three-down linebacker, doesn't quite have the speed to be a will linebacker in the Dolphins 4-3, doesn't really have the speed-strength combination you want in a middle linebacker in that kind of scheme. So to me, he's a hair-on-fire special teamer type, and you know that's fine in the fifth round, but I think you can shoot for the stars a little bit more and do a little bit better. But personally, it's hard to knock the Dolphins draft I think it's a pretty average draft if you don't include trading for Josh Rosen, but you kind of have to include that because it took a second round pick from them and they ended up getting their potential quarterback in the future. So it's a good draft if you include that. It's average without it. You could also say maybe the Chandler Cox picks is a little questionable as a fullback in the seventh round who really doesn't stand out in any one category, but it's a seventh round pick. So I mean, how questionable can it really be? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. Literally, your value pick, your questionable picks, your uh, favorite picks, exactly the same thing there with Wilkins and Prince and and Van Geich, uh, Van Geichel. And yeah, I think you got to include the the Josh Rosen. And when you include that and the value in which they got for Rosen, I mean, they they that makes their draft look substantially better. You know, it's a very you know, listen, it's not a pizzazz type draft. You know, Christian Wilkins, you know a little bit lost in the shuffle because Quinn and Williams and, and Ed Oliver were getting a little bit more attention in terms of defensive tackle. You know, Michael Dieter is just a rock solid offensive lineman, but there was a lot of them in, in that round two round three mix, you know? So I think it's a, I think it's a, a blue collar type of, you know, lunch pail, go to work, you know, those type of guys there with Wilkins and Dieter and, and some of that. And then Rosen is really the one that adds some pizzazz to it. And if Rosen becomes the guy that I know you and I thought he could be when we evaluated his college film, then this is going to be a really good draft for them. And if not, that you know, they didn't give up many reasons. They didn't invest much in him in terms of financial commitment, nothing really, and minimal in terms of draft capital. So if they want to go back to the well, whether it's next year or two years down the line for a quarterback, if they think that's the case, th- they can. So I think it's a, a win-win proposition. You take a chance on Rosen, and if he's the guy, you got your guy at a really great value. And if he's not the guy, you can move on. It didn't cost you much financially or much in terms of draft capital that it doesn't, you know, set the franchise back. So I thought overall that was a fantastic move. Absolutely. We'll head to the Jets now. And with the third pick in round one, despite lots of rumors that they were looking to trade the pick, they ended up standing pat and taking Alabama defensive tackle Quinn and Williams. They didn't have a pick until the third round, thanks to the Sam Darnold trade from last year. They took Florida edge rusher Ja'Kai Polite. And later in the round, they took USC offensive tackle Chuma Idoga, who they traded up for. In the fourth round, as you mentioned earlier, they took West Virginia tight end Trevon Wesco. In the fifth round, 
They took Minnesota linebacker Blake Cashman. And in round six, they took Rutgers quarterback Leshuan Austin. I mean, my favorite pick here is it's easy as low-hanging fruit, but it has to be Quinton Williams. This is one of the best two players in the draft. I understand that the Jets did not have a big need along the defensive line, especially on the inside. Yes, they need edge rushers, but you know what? Quinton Williams can push the pocket from the middle. And if we've seen, I'm not saying the Jets are going to challenge Tom Brady and the Patriots for supremacy maybe this season, but if we've seen a guy like Tom Brady get rattled, it's interior pressure that does it to him. It's not pressure off the edge. Quinton Williams can provide that. He can stop the run. He has no character concerns. He's a very safe prospect, and he also has a very high ceiling. So that was a no-brainer pick for the Jets since they were unable to trade down, which ultimately maybe they were as interested as the media was saying. Maybe they weren't. We'll never know, but they got a complete stud in Quinton Williams. My favorite value pick is Blake Cashman. Um, when I watched his film, this was before the combine, I assumed he was going to be like a 4'6", 4'6", 5'7", kind of guy. But I thought he played fast, really good recognition skills, tackles well. Then he goes out and he runs a 4'5 at the combine, and I'm like, wow. So that means this guy, considering he plays really fast in terms of his recognition, probably plays somewhere in the 4'4", which is like Devin White, Devin Bush type territory. Now, he's not the level of player that those guys are. He's not as explosive. He has had surgeries on both of his shoulders. So there are some questions with Cashman, mostly based around injury and size, but he was a steal there. Even if he doesn't end up breaking into the starting lineup anytime soon, absolutely a special teamer, and hopefully they can use him on sub packages as well. For me, the questionable pick that the Jets made was Trevon Wesco in the fourth round. And it's not because I dislike the player. I think he's a good player. I think he can end up being a very solid backup tight end, kind of like we were talking with Tommy Sweeney earlier, but Sweeney went in the seventh round, Wesco went in the fourth round. And the Jets drafted the tight end in the fourth round last year, Chris Herndon, who's going to be their starter. They still have Eric Tomlinson on the roster, who's a solid number two blocking type of tight end. They just had so many other needs and so many other holes to fill that the Wesco pick to me just seems like a luxury pick. And Mike McCagden being on the hot seat as, you know, everybody is, is rumored out here. So when there's that much smoke, there's got to be fire. You can't be taking luxury picks like Trevon Wesco in the fourth round there when you have significant other needs Overall, the Jets, this draft is very risky to me. There's a lot of boom bust to it. Obviously, Ja'Kai Polite, first round tape, undraftable combine and pre-draft process, ends up in the third round, which I think was right for him, and I'm good with that pick. I'm happy that they took him there because they need edge help, and he was definitely the best pure edge there. But at the same time, that's a pick that could really flame out on them. Chuma Idoga, same thing. Played well at the senior bowl, has some character concerns. I just think that... A lot of the picks in this draft, even Bleshawn Austin in the sixth round, has injury issues. So Quinn and Williams is going to be rock solid. There is a definite possibility that the Jets only get one legitimate impact player out of this draft when they needed at least three or four starters. So it's, it's hard to give them that, much, that great of a grade here. It's a super risky and kind of a strange effort to make. Yeah, I mean, I think you outlined it perfectly. I'm intrigued by their two third-round picks, Polite and Adalga, but... But they're risky. They're both very risky picks. I mean, if the draft took place at the end of the college football season, Polite probably goes round one, and Idoga probably goes somewhere on day two. And, you know, their pre-draft process, and and as you learn more about them and, and some of their stuff, wasn't very kind to them. But they needed a pass rusher, so I understood the polite pick. Sam Darnold, you know, obviously, um, I would assume, vouch for Idoga, a guy he played with, so... You know, if those guys pan out, 
I think this is a great draft class for the Jets. But if those guys don't, if they if polite issues, you know, continue, you know, to kind of harpen and and kind of limit what he is at the NFL level, you know, and and then Edoga doesn't become a starter on that line, then you're right. Then then you're probably only getting one player out of this draft class. Uh, so it's a very risky, like you said. It could hit, and they could look really smart. But if not, you know they're swinging for a lot of home runs. I think here, and maybe after Quinn and Williams, they should have been more looking to just get some solid singles and doubles, and get guys who you know could have been starter players, and not swung for guys with major upside, but at least guys that didn't have really low, uh, you know, floors as well. So that's I, I'm right there with you, 100. percent Your take on the Jets draft. And we'll move on to a draft that uh, was a bit less risky, but definitely a good draft. And that's the last team in the AFC East, the New England Patriots. The last pick in the first round, they took Arizona State wide receiver Nikhil Harry. In the second round, they took Vanderbilt quarterback Jawad Williams. In the third round, they took Chase Winovich, edge rusher out of Michigan. And they also took Alabama running back Damian Harris and West Virginia offensive tackle Yadney Kajust in the same round. In the fourth round, they took Arkansas guard Yelda Froholt. Auburn quarterback Jared Stidham was their other fourth-round pick. In the fifth, they took Maryland defensive tackle Byron Cowart, and they took Stanford punter Jacob Bailey. And then in the seventh round, they took Mississippi cornerback Ken Webster. My favorite pick of the bunch here has to be Chase Winovich. Um, you know, he's the guy who went nine picks after Ja'Kai Polite, who we were just talking about. And this is a guy who you take his athletic ability, which he was able to show at the combine, you take his production, which was better than his teammate and more valued prospect Rashawn Gary at Michigan, and you look at everything, and he's got it. I mean, maybe he's not a high upside player, but the floor is extremely high with Chase Linovich, and I do think there's more upside than a lot of people recognize. So I thought that was a really good pick in the third round. Uh, value picks, you know I like Jared Stidham. That's a guy I feel like has all the traits to be an NFL starter. Uh, he's really handicapped in that Auburn offense, showed well in the pre-draft process. There were definitely times on tape where – you know, you're watching him and you really hope he would elevate his game and you really hope he would take a step or show you that one thing that made you say, wow, this guy, this guy has it. And you know what? It really wasn't there. So he's a project, but we've seen plenty of project quarterbacks go to New England and succeed. And none of them have taken over for Tom Brady yet because the guy just won't go away. But the Patriots either trade for a position of need, what, like what they did with Jacoby Brissett and Philip Dorsett, or they you know, trade Jimmy Garoppolo and get a draft pick. They trade Matt Castle. So they have a history of doing this, and they're probably going to do it again with Jared Stidham. I wanted to mention a bonus value pick here, and that's Ken Webster in the seventh round, You know, a guy that a lot of people may not know too much about because he missed two consecutive seasons of college football, uh, but he tested really well at the Combine. He's had lots of injury problems with his knee, but coming off his sophomore season, he was considered a day-two possibility as a guy who was really rising up boards. Then he obviously was struck by injury, but if he's fully back physically – that's a steal in the seventh round, even if he just becomes, you know, a third or fourth corner on their depth chart. Questionable picks. It's hard to really knock any of these picks that the Patriots made. I thought they got good value on most of their picks. So I'm just going to say that taking a punter in the fifth round is the most questionable move just because with what we know the Patriots are capable of on the third day of the draft and the upside that they're capable of mining, taking a punter there, even if he winds up being the best punter in the league, seems like a pick that could have been better used elsewhere. But it's a bit of a nitpick because overall this was just an excellent draft for New England and it's hard to hard to really quibble with too much. Yeah, I mean, this is like you talked about with the Jets, high risk, high reward. 
but the Patriots, it, you just look at it and you just can see guys. You know, Joan Williams is going to be a, become a starter for them. Chase Winovich is going to become a starter for them. Yannick Juice is probably going to be a starter for them. You know, Froholt, the guard from Arkansas, maybe not in year one, but I guarantee you in within a, two years or three years, he's going to be starting on the offensive line in the interior. You know, Damian Harrison is going to become the, you know, second running back there, you know, behind Sonny Michelle and, and, utilize it in tandem with what they got there. You know, Stidham, maybe he develops into a starting quarterback, you know, one Tom Brady calls it quits. You know, up and down there, so many guys who you can see having a role early and then other guys who can have a role down the line and potentially be starters for him. So great draft overall uh, for the Patriots. I, I thought they they targeted guys who fit their team, fit their scheme, and guys that also uh, present a good value and really smart players. I feel like a lot of the guys they drafted are guys that there are no questions about in terms of character or work ethic, you know. And I think guys that kind of fit their profile of what they're looking for. So another strong draft there by the Patriots, who always have a lot of you know top one hundred picks because they played a compensatory game. Uh, just about as good as anybody. So I'm just going to keep this going. Let's take this to the AFC West. And I'm going to kick it off with the Denver Broncos. Uh, in round one, they traded down from pick 10 to pick 20. They picked up some future assets, you know, one in, uh, in this draft and then one in 2020. So and at pick 20, they took tight end out of Iowa, Noah Fant. In round two, they took Dalton uh, Reisner, tackle, guard, center, whatever you want to call him, offensive lineman out of K-State. Uh, in round two, they also took quarterback out of Missouri, Drew Locke. In round three, they took Draymond Jones, defensive tackle out of Ohio State. In round five, they took Justin Hollins, the edge prospect out of Oregon. And in round six, they took Joanne uh, Winfrey, wide receiver out of Colorado. My favorite pick was the Dalton Reisner pick. I love the versatility that he offers. I like that he can play guard or tackle. I think he had some nastiness and some, you know, physicality and toughness to that O-line. Uh, in terms of value pick, I'll say that's Drew Locke. I mean, there was whispers that they could take him at 10. They move back to 20. They don't take him at 20. They get him in the second round. So that was great value. I think he's going to be the future starter there for them. In terms of... Uh, questionable picks you know it's hard to really quiver with a, a sixth round pick but Winfrey the wide receiver out of Colorado is a guy that was not on a lot of people's radar uh so obviously that is a little bit questionable but overall I really like their draft I love trading back and picking up multiple assets to move back from 10 to 20 and then still get a guy that maybe you were considering at 10 in Noah Fant he has a different element and dynamic to that passing game I have some concerns about how quickly he develops because I do think he has some rat tree and rat refinement to work on, but he's an elite level athlete. If they really ask him, put him in situations to really cater to his skill set, I could see him being a weapon, attacking the seam, getting vertical. To me, he reminds me at times, you know, of Jared Cook, who, you know, was very, you know, came into the NFL as this athletic freak and has shown glimpses of it, never put it all together consistently, you know, but I do think Noah Fan has that big play capabilities from the tight end position. I like the value on Draymond Jones in the third round. And I already talked about how much I like Risner, like the lock pick. So I thought Denver was, if I, if I went through really closely and, and labeled five favorite drafts, 
I think Denver would probably be short, very much potentially in the mix in my you know favorite five drafts in terms of what they did, getting future assets and and the prospects that they got. So thoughts, Chris, on Denver? I'm with you. I mean, you mentioned Noah Fant being a great athlete. The one guy you didn't mention outside of the rundown was Justin Hollins, the edge rusher out of Oregon. Now this guy, I mean, his 40 tested in the 98th percentile overall among edge rushers. He ran a 4.5. He was a high school track star. Um, his vertical jump was in the 84th percentile, had a good broad and three cone as well. So this guy is a really good athlete. He's a guy that's going to fit in well on the outside as a linebacker, standing up over tackle, rushing the passer. A lot of people during the season were talking all about Jalen Jelks. Uh, he ends up going in the seventh round. Justin Hollins ends up going higher, which is right because Justin Hollins was the better player all season. He's the better athlete. He's the guy who translates better to the NFL. So I really like the Justin Hollins pick. I'm with you on pretty much everything else. Dalton Reisner was a guy, when he was getting first-round hype, I had some issues with that. I didn't necessarily think he was a first-round prospect, but getting him in the middle of the second round, or I guess the early portion of the second round, but even so, getting him where they got him was excellent value because of his versatility, because he is kind of a high-floor type of guy. I wasn't the biggest Drew Locke fan throughout the process. I'm very concerned about how he played against better competition, even though he was at Missouri when he didn't necessarily have the same talent around him that the teams that he was playing against did. But I think getting him in the second round is very good value, especially since, as you said, there were rumors they were going to take him at 10. Instead, they moved back. They draft Noah Fant, who's going to be a good role player for them at the very least to start. And obviously, he has a ton of upside. So I do like what Denver did in this draft, even with the win-free pick. As you said, I don't really know too much about him either. But at the same time, it's a sixth-round pick. And if you're going to hit on your first five, really can't have too much of a problem from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, overall, Denver, I think, came out of this uh, winners of of this draft. So let's keep this going with the Kansas City Chiefs. They did not have a pick in the first round because they traded it for Frank Clark. In the second round, they took McCauley Hardman, uh, uh, Mikol Hardman, wide receiver out of Georgia. Also in the second round, they took Juan Thornhill, safety out of Virginia. In round three, they took uh, Kalen Saunders, defensive tackle out of Western Illinois. Then in round six, they took uh, Rashad Fenton, cornerback out of South Carolina. Also in round six, they took Darwin Thompson, the running back out of Utah State. In round seven, they took Nick Allegretti, guard from Illinois. In terms of my favorite pick, I think it's Mecole Hardman in the in round two. I love Mecole Hardman. I think schematically and stylistically, he can do a lot of the similar things to Tyree Kill, whether he ever even remotely becomes the quality of player and the impactful player of Tyree Kill is to be determined if that's the role he's asked to play. I mean, Tyree Kill, a little bit more physical, better at the catch point, but I, I like a lot of what Harmon brings to the table. Explosive big play threat, can get vertical, can impact it in the short intermediate game, can be used on jet sweeps. So I love that explosiveness. I'll also say another favorite pick was Darwin Thompson. He's a guy that I'm really intrigued by. To me, he's a more physical version of like a Tariq Cohen type player. Uh, Only really one year of production, but it was high level production. I like Thompson. I think he could end up making that roster and add another unique element there to the backfield and him and Harmon maybe in, in, you know, c- collectively could make up for some of the lost production uh, from Tyreek Hill if, if Tyreek Hill is not with the Chiefs uh, for this upcoming season. In terms of value pick, I'll say Juan Thornhill because I thought there was some uh, late 
round one, early round two buzz in the pre-draft prospect because of his athleticism, his length, versatility, you know, that in, in terms of playing in the secondary, a variety of roles. So I thought that was really good value. In terms of questionable, I didn't really, I'm not going to sit here and nitpick, you know, Rashard Fenton in the sixth round or Nick Allegretti in the seventh round. I'll say the one questionable decision but overall, in in my overview, I liked it, is they gave up a pretty penny to get Frank Clark. The cost was pretty high, uh, you know, but I, overall, I like their draft. And to me, they are all in to win right now. And, and they saw you know, utilizing their first round pick to get Frank Clark, but they had to give up more than just the first. But overall, they're aggressive. So while it's a little bit of a questionable move, I understand it. I kind of applaud that they went for it. So I like what they did. I like them going after Mecole Harmon, even though there was maybe, you know, more productive, more wide receivers that, you know, were more in the spotlight. I don't know if they would have fit the role that they want them to play as much as Mecole Harmon can. So I thought that uh, I didn't have any problems with that. I liked Juan Thornhill. I thought that filled the big need, and I thought Kalen Saunders added to the D line. So I like the Chiefs. I didn't maybe love a couple of things they did late in the draft, and the cost to get Frank Clark was a little high. But I applaud them for being aggressive. They're in for right now, and he's going to make a much bigger impact than anybody they would have got uh, with the draft picks. They ended up, you know, trading away for him. So uh, I'm okay with what the Chiefs did. So I, I was a fan. Yeah, and it, it, for them, it was an issue of timing with the whole Frank Clark trade because they pulled that trade off, which obviously they're in it to win now. I thought, okay, they gave up a lot, but you know what? Good for them. They're going for it. And then I think it was a couple days later that the whole Tyreek Hill thing comes out. And I'm just like, wow, they must have a little bit of buyer's remorse on, on Frank Clark right now. Then they go and they replace Hill with Miko Hardman in the draft. The guy, I wasn't as high on him as you know most of the receivers that went on day two. But again, he fills a very perfect role in the Chiefs offense if Tyree Kill is not there. You know, he's raw as a route runner, but he's going to be able to make an impact on returns. He's going to be able to take some short passes and create some yards after the catch. And with Patrick Mahomes throwing him the ball, as long as he gets past his defensive back, at the very least, teams are going to have to scheme over the top against him, which is going to open up the rest of the field for Travis Kelsey and Sammy Watkins, or Nicole Hardman is going to make some big plays downfield. Even as a one-trick pony, which is what he pretty much is at this point in his career, he really couldn't have landed in a better spot. So that's a case where I think the player shouldn't have been taken that early, but because of the fit in the offense, it's hard to fully disagree with it. Juan Thornhill, you nailed it pretty much. He's good at the senior bowl, really good throughout the pre-draft process, tested well. A lot of teams think he can play corner. So it was a definite surprise to see him fall into the second round, especially when you have Darnell Savage, who's kind of a similar player with versatility going 42 picks higher. That's a definitely definitely a steal for the Chiefs there. And I will say this on Rashad Fenton. Uh, he's a guy that early in his career, he looked like he was going to be like a second-day prospect. He just never really took a step forward. Um, but the talent is still there as just the underlying skill set to be a good corner in the NFL if the Chiefs can get that out of him. If they can't, at the very least, he's a special teams type of guy, You know, more of a zone corner, not big. He's thin. He's not going to match up that well against – NFL receivers, but he's a guy, if you back him off the line, face him against the action, he might have more upside than you would think, simply based on the fact that he was a six-round pick and a lot of people weren't talking about him leading up to the draft. Yeah, I mean, listen, Fenton is a guy I remember from early in his career being talked about a little bit more. So maybe, you know, maybe they kind of 
revert him back to the guy that once upon a time was more highly regarded. If so, they could potentially have, you know, a late date for steal there. So that's, a, that's one name there uh, to kind of follow closely. So let's keep this going with the Los Angeles chargers in round one. They took Jerry Tillery uh, defensive lineman from Notre Dame in round two. They took Nasir Adderley, the safety out of Delaware in round three. They took Trey Pipkins tackle from Sioux Falls in round four. They took Drew Tranquil linebacker out of Notre Dame. In round five, they took Easton Stick, quarterback out of North Dakota State. In round six, they uh, they took Emeki Egbola, linebacker out of Houston. And in round seven, they took Cortez Broughton, defensive tackle out of Cincinnati. My favorite pick here was Jerry Tillery right at the top. I love his versatility. I think he was kind of going under, flying under the radar a little bit, but I really like – I think he offers a lot. He can play the five-tech. He can be a big defensive end who kicks inside, you know, on – uh, in sub packages, he could just play straight defensive tackle. So I like Jerry Tillery's versatility. I thought he kind of got lost in the shuffle. I thought he had a legitimate chance to go round one, and he did. So I like that pick. The value pick, I'm going to say Nasir Adderley. I mean, for a while, you know, some people thought he could be a late round one to early to mid round two, and they get him in, you know, late round two. I think he's a perfect complement uh, to Derwin James, their first round pick last year. So I love that value pick. In terms of questionable, I was surprised that they didn't take a quarterback earlier and then they chose Easton Stick. I thought there was other developmental quarterbacks they could have went with. And I also thought maybe they could have taken a quarterback, you know, earlier in the draft to begin with, you know. So, you know, if they wanted to, you know, I thought they could have maybe made it, you know, looked at a guy like Jared Stidham or somebody like that. So it was a little bit questionable they didn't do uh, that. Overall, though, it was a solid draft for them. I thought they got two building blocks for the defensive side with Tillery and Adderley. Uh, you know, but they could have potentially, you know, if they like Drew Locke, they could have taken him at the end of round one if they wanted to, to maybe have their heir apparent to Phillip Rivers. Uh, or they could have, like I said, meant, went after a guy like Jared Stidham uh, before the Patriots took him as well. I like Pipkins as a developmental tackle. So I thought it was a solid draft, but I think they probably only walked away with two definite starters and then kind of kind of wait and see what ends up happening with uh, Pipkins down the line. Any thoughts, uh, Chris, on the Chargers? Yeah, I mean, Pipkins is a guy, I mean, he's a former basketball player. He definitely has a good amount of athleticism. He's a big-time upside guy. But when you take him in the third round, you take a lot of that margin for his upside and you you remove it. If he's a fifth-round pick and you develop him into a low-end starter, you're very happy with that. If he's a third-round pick and you develop him into a low-end starter, well, you're not as happy with that because you're not getting the same level of return. And there's also the opportunity cost. You know, you mentioned Jarrett Stidham. As a quarterback that could have taken, Will Greer was still available on the board when they took Trey Pipkins. And I know you're a big Will Greer fan. If they had taken him there as kind of the heir apparent to Phillip Rivers, that would have been a really nice pick. Maybe they get Pipkins in the next round as well. And then, you know, the idea of his upside, which is going to take a little bit of time to harvest, um, is something that is a little bit more intriguing. But I do agree their first two picks were very, very good. Jerry Tillery is a guy, if you can get him to play every single down the same exact way, because, you know, he's kind of hot and cold a little bit at Notre Dame. But when he was hot, I mean, this guy looks like a top 20 pick. Uh, so if he, they can get him to play consistently at that level, that's definitely good value at the end of the first round, in addition to being a good player. And I agree with you on Adderley, too. He's an excellent fit next to Derwin James. Derwin's going to play in the box. He's going to be the enforcer. Whereas Adderley is going to play center field. He's going to roam out there. Um, I didn't really like what I saw from Adderley at the Senior Bowl. But then it came out that he was dealing with a high ankle sprain and he was playing on it. So, you know, the movement skills that I thought I was going to see that I didn't see 
well, if he has a high ankle sprain, that's really going to affect him. And kudos to him for being even out there on the field. Shows a lot of toughness there and shows that he really cared about the process and wanted to make an impression for NFL scouts. So hearing that kind of took away the negative feelings I had from Adderley coming out of Mobile. Yeah, I mean, I think that made that, that I remember a lot of analysis, not just uh, you and Tony, but others were questioning Adderley a little bit at the Senior Bowl as well. So, you know, I hadn't even heard that he had, was playing with a, a high ankle sprain there. So that's interesting nonetheless. And I do agree, like I said, ideal compliment there uh, in that role with Derwin James. So let's round out the AFC West with the Oakland Raiders. They were busy on draft weekend. In round one, I picked four. They took Cleveland Farrell, uh, defensive end from Clemson. In round one, I picked 24. They took Josh Jacobs, the running back out of Alabama. It, third first round pick at pick 27. They took Jonathan Abram, the safety out of Mississippi State. In round two, they took Trayvon Mullen, cornerback out of Clemson. In round four, they took Max Crosby, edge prospect out of Eastern Michigan. Uh, late round four, they took Isaiah Johnson, cornerback out of Houston. Further later on in round four, they took Foster Moreau, tight end from LSU. In round five, they took Hunter Renfro, wide receiver from Clemson. In round seven, they took Quinton Bell, edge prospect out of Prairie View A&M. In terms of my favorite picks, definitely Josh Jacobs. He was my RB1. I love his overall game. To me, he's a blend of Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram in terms of his athleticism, pass catching ability, uh, elusiveness and agility in the open field, but also then physicality, toughness, uh, you know, put his head down and, and push the pile as well. I also love the Hunter Renfro pick. I think he's a guy who could have a long career as a slot wide receiver in this league. In terms of value pick, I'd probably say the best value was a couple of their fourth round picks, Isaiah Johnson and Foster Moreau, late round four. I thought those guys could have went a little bit early. Or I, I think Foster Moreau has some untapped uh, receiving potential. He showed that untapped athleticism at the combine. I thought Isaiah Johnson com- maybe could have went late round three or early round four. You know, based on his traits, I think he's got some stuff to work on though. Uh, but I did think that he could have went a little bit earlier. So those would be the value picks. In terms of questionable picks, listen, I think Farrell's a very good player. I thought he was, you know, underrated and wasn't getting talked about enough, but I thought he was more underrated in like the eight or nine to like 15 range is where he should have been talked about. And you didn't really hear him being talked about that early. So I like the player. I just, I have a hard time thinking that he should have been the pick over Josh Allen. Uh, same thing with Jonathan Abram. I like the player. I don't know the positional value if it, if it, if it was ideal there. I think this draft, the things I liked about it, I obviously love Jacobs. I felt like Mayak and Gruden got their guys. They, they were looking for some high character guys to add to the culture there. And I like that. If you take into account that they also used some draft capital from this draft class and they got Antonio Brown for basically free, I mean, that makes this draft class even m- look better than it already does. Uh, Trayvon Mullen I liked in the second round. I mean, the things I did is, didn't like so much was I didn't think they really maximized the value on uh, Farrell and Abram. I thought they could have maybe got them a little bit later. Uh, but if there's nobody looking to really actively move up and trade, I, I get it. You kind of get stuck and you just kind of got to make the pick and, and go with the guys that you want there. Uh, overall, though, I, you know, I kind of like their draft. I, I wouldn't have picked Farrell. I wouldn't have picked Abram. But when you kind of stack up the entire draft start to finish, I kind of like a lot of what they did. And then, you know, I like it even more if you want to include the Antonio Brown as part of the entire package of what they use their draft capitals on. So, Chris, any thoughts on the Raiders? 
I mean, I would say the overall talent they picked up was above average. Certainly, I mean, when you have three first-round picks, it's hard not to be. I do agree with you that really maybe they didn't maximize value in a lot of scenarios. Um, but quick thing, if Mike Mayock was still working for NFL Network, you'd have heard a lot more about Cleveland Farrell potentially being a top five, top seven pick because Mike Mayock would have been talking about it and he would have been all over it. Um, so obviously that pick came as a surprise to everybody because Mike Mayock's not a talking head anymore. He's not telling you about his opinion and how highly he has Cleveland Farrell. Um, you know, I know Tony had him seventh on our board. So Tony was ecstatic when, uh, when Farrell ended up going fourth, just because, you know, you see that and you're like, oh, wow. Okay. So I'm on an Island and now someone just took my Island and completely went past it. Um, you know, Farrell's a really good player. Uh, he's a high floor type of guy. He's probably not going to bust. Were there guys with more upside at that spot? Potentially, yeah. But if you look at what the Raiders did on the third day of the draft, they pretty much just focused on athletic players. They looked at traits. I mean, Max Crosby is a plus athlete. Isaiah Johnson is a plus athlete. He's long. At the very least, if he doesn't work out at corner, he could end up moving to safety. Foster Moreau, as you mentioned, untapped athletic upside, could be more of a receiver. Hunter Renfro, obviously not really an athletic type of guy, but a productive player who a lot of people were going to let fall just because there's a perceived lack of upside there. Personally, I like Hunter Renfro a lot. I think he's a very solid pick, even if he didn't fit in with the rest of their third-day picks that were kind of free athletes. So I like the idea of the Raiders draft. I think more than I like the Raiders draft as a whole, but in the end, it's really hard to come out and fully complain about any of the picks. The one I would complain about most might be Jonathan Abram, just because there are a lot of safeties in this class that had dual skill sets. Um, guys who could possibly play corner, guys who could play deep safety, guys who were interchangeable. Abram is strictly a box guy. Obviously, they've kind of given up on Carl Joseph at this point. They didn't, um, you know, extend his fifth-year option. So they're done with the Carl Joseph situation, and they're going to plug Abram in, and they're going to have him be their enforcer in the back end. I mean, this is a guy who injured a teammate in the spring game, so that tells you all you need to know about his toughness and what he brings to the table there. But for me, that would be the most questionable pick. And they may have issued value at certain points, but it's hard to complain too much if you're a Raiders fan with the haul they got, in addition to obviously trading draft picks for Antonio Brown. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the point made about Farrell, I think, is spot on that, you know, if Mayock had him in there and had him as a top four player, you know, people's perspective, if a, if an NFL team did that, would have would have looked very differently. Uh, you know, and who's to say there weren't other teams that really had Farrell high? I mean, that's the thing. We never really know, you know, what teams you know, boards are going to look like. No one's going to come out, you know, you know, we're not going to get into a long conversation, but we've, I know we've had it off air about the giants and Daniel Jones and, you know, listen, most likely the giants could have had him at 17, but no one's going to come out after the fact and say, yeah, we were going to take him. You know, the Redskins definitely aren't going to do that, even if they were taking Haskins. But if for some reason they wanted Daniel Jones, they're not going to make it known that, yeah, we got we didn't get the guy we wanted. Or if some team was planning on, you know, making a, a, a trade up for Daniel Jones, they're not going to let that try to get out there in the media because maybe it pisses off their current quarterback. You know, it kind of makes their guy they did end up taking, you know, not look or feel like the guy they wanted. So we never really know. So maybe there are other teams that had Farrell higher than Josh Allen. I mean, it, it's not impossible to think that, you know, that they're, the Raiders weren't on that island by themselves, that there were maybe other teams that, 
Sir Farrell and Sir more of a traditional 4-3 defensive end, you know, and and preferred that over a guy like Josh Allen for their scheme and fit. So those are the things that we're really never privy to, uh, you know, for individual teams. We're making more generic overall big boards in a vacuum, and that's not how it works at the NFL level. So really interesting stuff there. Let's move to the NFC North uh, and start it out there uh, to wrap it up for tonight. Absolutely. And moving to the AFC North here, we have, we'll start with the Cincinnati Bengals, who with the 11th pick in the first round took Alabama offensive tackle Jonah Williams. In the second round, they took Washington tight end Drew Sample. Round three, they took North Carolina State linebacker Jermaine Pratt. Uh, they took Jermaine Pratt's teammate, NC State quarterback Ryan Finley, in the fourth round. They also selected Rennell Wren, Arizona State defensive tackle, in round four. They got Michael Jordan, the Ohio State guard, with their third pick in the fourth round. They didn't have a fifth rounder, but they had three sixth round picks. They took Tradeon Williams, Texas A&M running back at eighty at one eighty two. They took Auburn linebacker Deshaun Davis at pick two ten, and they took Oklahoma running back Rodney Anderson with the next pick at two eleven. Then in the seventh round, they ended up with South Dakota State cornerback Jordan Brown. My favorite pick for the Bengals here is the Jonah Williams pick. Now he's a guy similar to what I said earlier about Dalton Reisner. When there was first round hype on Dalton Reisner, I wasn't really a fan of the value. When there was top seven hype on Jonah Williams, I wasn't really a fan of the value. But when you step outside the top 10 and you get him more in the middle of the first round, a guy like that who may not have all pro upside necessarily, but he's got a super high floor. He's a cerebral guy. You know, I'm sure people have heard the story where he keeps detailed notes on all of the opponents that he's faced throughout his career. He has a huge notebook of just defensive players and their counters and their strengths and their weaknesses. You know, he's going to start off at right tackle. He's a technician. He's the kind of guy who could kick inside to guard. He could even probably play center, just like Dalton Reiser. He's just a better version who's really going to be able to excel at the NFL level. And when you're not taking him in the top five, you don't care as much if he doesn't hit the massive upside that you might expect. As far as a value pick, I'd go with Rodney Anderson. I know he's a guy that you like as well. For me, he was just on film alone. And granted, we have just last year as his only full season of film because he has an injury-riddled career. He was close to Josh Jacobs for me. He was my number two running back. Obviously, he falls to the sixth round because of the injury concerns. He's stuck behind Joe Mixon. They have him and Trevion Williams there who are going to battle for the backup job as long as Rodney Anderson is healthy. But if that guy comes back at full health, he is much better than Trevion Williams. And I like Trevion Williams, but Rodney Anderson is a guy that he has the size at about 220 pounds to be a featured back. He has the athletic ability. He runs good routes as a receiver. He's got good hands. Oklahoma was willing to use him there. I think he averaged over like it's somewhere in the double digits in terms of yards per reception last year. And a lot of that is their offense, but a lot of that is his skill set too. You know, he's a legitimate three down back. And if he gets an opportunity at the NFL level and if he's healthy, he's really going to impress. So it's hard to complain about getting him outside of the top 200. If I had to mention a questionable pick, it'd be Drew Sample in the second round. No, I like Drew Sample. Tony and I talked a lot about him at the senior bowl. He looked really good there. Uh, he's an excellent blocker. He's a guy who tested as a solid enough athlete at the combine in Indy. He's a reliable receiver. He's not a guy who's going to stretch the seam. But for me, I just want my second round tight end to be more of a receiver than a blocker. I think you can get blocking out of the tight end spot far later in the draft. I mean, we've talked about Trevon Wesco. We've talked about Tommy Sweeney already. Those guys went on the third day. Drew Sample is better than them, but to take him in the second round just outside the top 50, to me, it's a little bit of a reach. 
when you have a guy who's not going to make a massive impact as a receiver. And in today's NFL, more so than even five to seven years ago, you want your tight ends to be able to stretch the seam and you want them to be able to threaten downfield. Sample could very easily be an excellent starting tight end at the NFL level, but I think his ceiling is kind of capped. That makes it kind of a questionable pick for me at that point. Overall, I thought it was a solid enough effort for Cincinnati. Nothing really stands out. They didn't, outside of Rodney Anderson, who fell because of injuries, they didn't have any massive value picks. I like Riddell Wren, the defensive tackle out of Arizona State. I think he's got the size to plug holes on the inside. I think he's got the athletic ability to shoot gaps. So I think he's a versatile player. I don't think they had a great draft, but I'm not going to complain too much about what they did. Yeah, I mean, listen, I like some of the things they did. I like Jonah Williams at 11. I really thought they were going to be in the market for a quarterback. So, you know, they passed on Dwayne Haskins, so they must have not loved him. You know, I, I guess we'll never know if they liked Daniel Jones, if they were never going quarterback. You obviously heard some whispers that they were heavily in the quarterback mix, but they had their opportunity to take all of them, but Kyler Murray and Daniel Jones, and they didn't. They waited to take Ryan Finley in round four. Uh, you know, I think Ryan Finley is more of a game manager backup type. I like the Rennell Wren pick. That was probably that. And then the, the round six running backs I thought were pretty good. I also like the Michael Jordan pick. I think he has a chance to potentially start there as a center or guard down the line next to his former teammate, Price. Uh, so I thought that was a, a good pick. The sample was the one that really shook my head the most. I mean, you can make the case that two running backs in round six when you have Joe Mixon, but maybe they just are too good value on Anderson, who if he's healthy, he's a you know, late round one, early round two guy. There were some people that thought Travion Williams was a late round three, round four guy. So maybe they just are too much value there. Uh, but the sample one is just hard to wrap my head around. So that's the one that keeps kind of jumping off the page at me uh, when I look at this team. Absolutely. And we'll move on to the Browns here in the second round, 46 overall. They uh, took Greedy Williams, quarterback out of LSU, who more or less fell into their lap. In the third round, they took a BYU linebacker, Sione Takitaki. In the fourth round, they took Sheldrick Redwine, the safety-slash-cornerback out of Miami. In the fifth round, they took Alabama linebacker, Mac Wilson, and Oklahoma kicker, Austin Seibert. In the sixth round, they took guard, Drew Forbes, out of Southeast Missouri State. In the seventh round, they took two-lane cornerback, Donnie Lewis, as well. My favorite pick out of the Browns draft here, I'd have to say it was Greedy Williams. Now, he's a guy who can get a bit handsy at times. He's a physical player, and sometimes he takes that a little too far. But a guy with that kind of length and those kind of ball skills and just having all of those plus traits as well as the physicality, it's hard to disagree with that pick um, in the middle of the second round. I think he was something like the eighth cornerback off the board, but a lot of people thought he was a mid-first-round pick at one point. The tackling isn't really a huge concern for me personally. I was surprised he fell, even with the lack of top 30 visits. I know the last person who, uh, last prospect who didn't have any top 30 visits was Tyler Eifert several years ago, and he didn't really fall too far in the draft. So it was interesting that Greedy Williams did, but in the end, his loss in terms of draft capital is Cleveland's gain. Uh, value pick has to be Mac Wilson. Maybe it was his limited starting experience. He only broke in as a starter last year. That dropped him to round five. He does need to add some bulk and some strength, but he's athletic. He can play all three downs. At the very least, he's going to be a core special teamer in the fifth round, and he has the upside for a lot, lot more. The questionable pick, just like with the Patriots, I'm going to go with the specialist in round five. I know the chances of a kicker hitting at that point are probably better than any offensive or defensive position, but I'd still rather take a flyer on one of those players and hope they develop into something rather than taking a kicker, just because unless that kicker ends up being a top five kicker in the league, it's very difficult to justify any draft pick, even a fifth round one. Obviously, we're not talking Roberto Aguayo in the second round or anything like that, but 
a lot of the most effective kickers in the league are seventh round picks, undrafted free agents. So it's always hard to justify drafting a kicker on the third day. And especially considering that the Browns did a lot of other good things in this draft, that would be my most questionable pick for them. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Browns, I thought where they got Grady Williams was tremendous value. After that, I, I, you know, I like the Mac Wilson pick also in round five, but I, I, the rest of it, I was a little bit suspect of their draft. I thought the Takataki pick was a little bit early in round three. I don't mind the red wine pick, the kicker in round five, you know, so I, I get it. I, I guess to me, it's the, it's taking Takitaki in the round three. That surprised me a little bit. I thought they could have won somewhere else with their round four pick. Uh, and then definitely I thought the kicker in round five was a reach. Uh, so obviously I like Greedy. I like Mac Wilson. And, you know, listen, this draft basically was Odell Beckham for them. So if they got Odell Beckham and Greedy Williams, you could call it a day there for their draft class. And I think they'll they'll be just fine from, from overall from this. But there were a couple things that I thought uh, – you know, they could have solidified and could have went in a little bit of a different direction uh, that they just didn't. So, but overall, some of the guys in value they got, I think were really high. So it's hard to complain. I did think they reached on a few picks though. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Taki Taki pick probably more than most. I think he's going to be a productive player. I think the late third round was about right for him. I don't know that he would have made it out of day two if the Browns let him go. He's a guy that really been picking up a lot of steam throughout the draft process. Um, but I agree. They didn't do anything after the greedy pick. They didn't really do anything you know, sexy to say. They didn't hit on anything where you're going to say, wow, what a pick, outside of maybe Mac Wilson. Um, but again, they didn't have a first-round pick because of the Beckham trade, which is obviously a wow type of thing. So good for them on that kind of accord there. But yeah, they, their draft was kind of meat and potatoes. It was a little bit bare bones past the greedy pick. But I didn't see anything I hated. I also didn't see anything I loved too much. So it kind of just falls in the middle for me. A draft that doesn't really fall in the middle for me is the Baltimore Ravens. In the first round, they took Oklahoma wide receiver Marquise Brown at number 25. They went with Louisiana Tech edge rusher Jalen Ferguson in round three, as well as Notre Dame wide receiver Miles Boykin. In the fourth round, they grabbed Oklahoma running back Justice Hill and Oklahoma guard, or sorry, Oklahoma State running back Justice Hill and Oklahoma guard Ben Powers. They also got USC cornerback Amon Marshall. In the fifth round, they drafted Texas A&M defensive tackle Dalen Mack. And in the sixth round, they drafted Penn State quarterback Trace McSorley. My favorite pick here for the Ravens was Marquise Brown. They needed a player to replace John Brown. Obviously, John Brown did not really produce once Lamar Jackson came onto the scene last year. Um, He was pretty much invisible. I don't think that's going to be the case with Marquise Brown. Now that Lamar Jackson's had an offseason, he's going to be able to kind of grow with him a little bit, hopefully. I don't think, you know, if you're talking fantasy football, it obviously isn't the landing spot you wanted to see for Marquise Brown. But I think it's going to be really great for the Ravens offense to have a guy who's going to stretch the field like that. They also added a lot of other speed. Miles Boykin is a guy who is not only big, but he's fast. Justice Hill, one of the faster running backs in this class. So that's going to be an offense where they're going to try to run around you and they're going to try to run past you. And you're going to have to really stick with them to be able to stay with that offense, even if Lamar Jackson doesn't take a massive step forward as a thrower. Value pick for me would be Daylon Mack. It's kind of your standard zero technique, but he's got great power and girth, decent explosiveness and speed for a man his size. Took a really nice jump in production and in his development in 2018. He's going to start his career behind Brandon Williams, who's a good guy to learn from, who's in his 30s now. Uh, So he's going to spell Williams at times in a defensive line rotation and could eventually take over for him as a starter, if not next year, possibly in his third year in the league. 
The questionable pick for me here is Trace McSorley. Now, you know you did well in a draft when your final pick is the one that stands out as the most questionable. If McSorley could stick a quarterback for any team, it would probably be the Baltimore Ravens. But it just feels like kind of a throwaway pick to me unless they have something up their sleeve for him, whether it's a position change or whether it's sub-package work, which I don't understand why you would take Lamar Jackson off the field and put Trace McSorley on the field in the sub-package to run some sort of option wishbone or something. I just... I don't get the pick. I don't see Trace McSorley as an NFL quarterback, not even really as a backup. So for me, that was highly questionable. But overall, I really do like what the Ravens did. I think they added a lot of team speed. I think they added a lot of good players. Jalen Ferguson was pretty good value in the third round. A lot of people were talking about him at the end of the first round. There are a lot of people that don't even like him in the third round. But I do think that was a good value pick, and they needed to certainly replace some edge rushers with the exodus they saw this offseason. Yeah, I mean, I love their draft. I'm right there with you, you know, and you, and you can make the case the value is up and down the draft. You just talked about Jalen Ferguson. I was someone who didn't think he should go round one, but I thought mid round two, you know, was the late round two was his absolute as far as he should drop. So they got him, you know, arguably around earlier. Uh, I mean, around later than his value. Miles Boykin, if he would have went mid second round, the late second round, I think most people would have been okay with that. They get him around later. I think Justice Hill, to me, he is a better running back than Devin Singletary. Singletary went, you know, somewhere in the mid round three. They get Justice Hill, you know, 11 picks into round four. If he went in the third round, nobody would have been surprised. Ben Powers went, you know, 21 picks into round four. If he would have been a late round three, I don't think anybody would have really blinked an eye. So a lot of value up and down. The Dalen Mack pick, uh, another one. If he would have went in round four, I don't think anybody would have batted an eye either. So up and down the board there, value, speed, Guys that can come in and immediately have roles. I think Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin could both be starters. I think Justice Hill is going to play a tremendous amount. I think he might be second on the team in 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 carries this year after Mark Ingram. I think Powers has a chance to become a starting guard. I think Ferguson will be very much in the mix on in terms of a pass rusher. A uh, lot of stuff to like there about the Baltimore Ravens draft class. Absolutely. And we'll move on to the final team of the night here, and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, with the 10th overall pick in the first round after trading up with Denver, as we mentioned earlier. They took Michigan linebacker Devin Bush. In the third round, they took Toledo wide receiver Deontay Johnson. They also took Michigan State cornerback Justin Lane. Uh, Kentucky running back Benny Snell was their pick in the fourth round. They took Michigan tight end Zach Gentry in round five. Northern Illinois edge rusher Sutton Smith in round six. Also in round six, they took Alabama defensive tackle Isaiah Bugs and Akron linebacker Ulysses Gilbert. And Maryland tackle Derwin Gray was their seventh round pick and their final selection. Personally, my favorite pick here was Justin Lane. He was one of my favorite cornerbacks in this class. He's a former wide receiver who's really just scratching the surface of what he can do on the defensive side of the field defensive side of the field. I'm kind of a sucker for guys who change positions late in their college career or at some point in college and don't have that same level of experience playing the position because I just see so much developmental upside. Um, you know, does this give him some bust risk too? Absolutely. But I think that's mitigated where Pittsburgh got him. A lot of people were looking at Justin Lane as a potential mid-second round pick. If you take him there and he busts, it hurts a lot more than if you take him with the 83rd overall pick. I think his upside rivals any cornerback in this class. He's got length. He moves well in reverse, breaks the ball quickly. So he's a good player and a guy who really fits that defense well and is going to be a nice potential upside flyer for them. 
value pick. I was very surprised that Isaiah Bugs fell as far as he did, even after he tested like a nose tackle at the combine at 306 pounds. He was really able to get after the quarterback at Alabama. It's possible that he got an assist from some of his more talented teammates with the Crimson Tide, but he had nine and a half sacks last year. He works his hand well. And at this point, when you have a guy who produces at that level at in the SEC at the highest level of competition in college football, he's well worth a six-round flyer. He's just a good football player overall. For me, the questionable pick in Pittsburgh was Deontay Johnson, the wide receiver out of Toledo. Um, I actually, when I watched the Toledo trio of receivers, him, John Bea Johnson, and Cody Thompson, I liked Deontay Johnson the least out of the three of them. Now, obviously, he's probably going to have the best NFL career simply because the other two went undrafted and they're going to be fighting for scraps. Uh, but So I'm going to look wrong there. But for me, Deontay Johnson, I just didn't really see it. I know he separates well, but he's small. He doesn't have blazing speed. I know he you know, averaged about 16 yards per catch in college. Obviously, the Steelers like something about him. There were a lot of rumors that there were a lot of teams around the league that viewed him as a third-round pick, too. So I'm probably wrong in my evaluation, but I still don't like the pick. I also think that when you have Juju Smith-Schuster there, uh, they also still have James Washington from last year, who they seem to still be high on. They brought in Dante Moncrief. So I don't really see where Deontay Johnson fits in right now. Maybe next year he takes over a bit more of a role. And obviously he's going to provide some ability from the slot and he's a returner as well. I just didn't see the value there. And I thought there were much better receivers. I mean, Hakeem Butler's on the board, Miles Boykin's on the board. I don't see why you pass up guys like that. Even Gary Jennings out of West Virginia, who I like more than most. I don't see how you pass up guys like that who went in the fourth round for Deontay Johnson in the third. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I was definitely more of a fan of Deontay Johnson than you were, but I still thought he was more of a round four guy, you know, mid round four to late round four. I would have definitely went with Hakeem Butler right there. If, if I was targeting a wide receiver that was still on the board overall, though, I like the Steelers draft. I mean, I like the aggressive trade up for Devin Bush. I like the Justin Lane pick and I like some of the other stuff they did as well there. So I thought it was a pretty solid draft. Yeah, I mean, the fact that that Steelers defense fell apart when Ryan Chazier went down with, you know, his injury and, you know, good luck to him as he continues to recover there. I really do hope we see him back in the field. I'd be surprised, but, you know, it'd be a heck of a story if he did. But that defense fell apart without his speed in the middle. So you bring in Devin Bush, who's the guy who runs in the four fours. He's tough. He's not Devin White, but honestly, he's a little bit closer than some people may have thought. One goes pick five, one goes pick ten. I mean, he's going to add a lot of speed to the middle of that defense and hopefully shore it up like Ryan Shazier was able to do. And, you know, hopefully the Steelers' run defense won't be quite as bad as it was certainly, uh, you know, the past couple of seasons without Shazier. Absolutely. So there it is, guys. Every AFC team, all 16 value picks, questionable picks, favorite picks, overviews uh, from Chris and I. Chris, thank you so much for joining me tonight and doing this. Uh, Please let the audience know uh, where they can follow you, uh, what you guys are working on at Draft Analyst, what you guys are uh, working on on the podcast, and anything else you want to kind of give a shout out to. Yeah, well, Paul, first, thanks for having me. It's always uh, always great to talk some ball with you. I know we're always talking on the side, so it's nice to come on here and, and get some takes on the air so that people can laugh at us later and tell us how wrong we were. <laughs> uh, speaking of takes on the air that people can laugh at, um, you know, Tony and I have been doing similar draft recaps, but we're going a bit more in-depth. We're doing pretty much half-hour episodes on the Draft Analyst podcast. Uh, we're doing two half-hour episodes per division, so we're breaking down two teams, about 15 minutes, maybe 10, 15 minutes per team. Uh, So we'll be doing those throughout the month of May. So definitely keep an eye out. We finished up the AFC East. We just put out 
um, the Cowboys and the Giants this morning. Tomorrow, Friday morning, we're going to have the Redskins and the Eagles. And then the following week, we'll have another two divisions, two divisions a week after that. We'll wrap it up the last week of May before Memorial Day. So keep an eye out. We'll have pretty much four shows a week from Monday through Friday to keep an eye on. Right now on the site, you know, if you want scouting reports on undrafted free agents or guys that, you know, your team picked up that you don't know who they are, we have over 700 scouting reports on the site. So head over to draftanalyst.com for all that. We also have a 2020 mock draft up. So if you want to get familiar with some of the top prospects heading into next season, that's a good resource for that. Just the first round, nothing too crazy, but just kind of a thought exercise to get it out and show you who to watch for and whether it's summer film, whether people are diving in then or for the start of the college football season next year. So definitely keep an eye out for that and listen to those podcasts because we're going to be turning a lot of them out lately. Absolutely, guys. If you're not subscribed and downloading their podcast, you are missing out. It is one of the can't miss podcasts every single week and now multiple episodes uh, right now. All great stuff. Make sure you're listening. Make sure you have draft analysts bookmarked as well. Get over there. Check out all their profiles. Literally can find information on just about any prospect uh, that your team may be picked up in the draft. As it, Except Quincy Williams. Except Quincy Williams. Because apparently, <laughs> apparently you guys were slacking the pick 98. You couldn't <laughs> add him to the 700 list. Weren't they on the air on, I think it was NFL Network, and they didn't even have anything prepared for them, and they had no idea. They were like, Quincy Williams, oh, uh, we have no video to show. We have nothing for you. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's that's just <laughs> baffling. Like, I mean, just, I mean, him himself, you know, Quincy Williams himself said after the fact that he wasn't even remotely watching or following the draft because he just assumed he was definitely going to be a UDFA. He wasn't even expecting to get a phone call from anybody until like middle of the day Saturday as, you know, we're interested in potentially signing you if you go undrafted, you know, so even he was caught off guard by it as well. So that tells you, you know, how much you know, even the the networks were as well. So, Chris, this was an absolute blast. Thank you again for coming on. Uh, always fun. We'll definitely have to do it again soon. Guys, make sure you're following Chris. Everything they're doing over there, Drift Analysts, all top-notch stuff. So, on behalf of Chris, on behalf of myself, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and Matt Caraccio, thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>